right, good morning everyone, and I'd like to welcome you to our online service. And we pray that the Lord will bless you as we open His Word and look at it a little this morning. Trust everyone's doing well and staying safe and healthy. And uh, we uh, pray that God will bless His Word this morning. If you want to, and if you would, turn to Mark chapter 5. We're going to look at, again, one of my kind of favorite studies in, in the Bible, and that's the madman of the Gadarenes. And there is a lot to kind of digest from this passage. There's a lot going on here, and there's a lot sandwiched in to, the, to this chapter in Mark chapter 5. There's a little bit before in, in Mark chapter 4 as well. There seems like a lot of kind of hopeless situations that are taking place. And I'm sure we've all felt hopeless in a lot of situations in our lives from time to time. But there are four of them taking place. And it goes back to Mark 4 and verse 38. We see that the disciples were sure they were going to die here on a ship. And he, in verse 38, and he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow. Let's go back to verse 35. And on the same day, when even when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over to the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him. And say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And that makes me think of the song, Peace Be Still. And they are scared here. They are afraid for their lives. Remember, seasoned fishermen who were used to storms like this, they go down to the Lord and they say, Master, carest thou not that we perish? In verse 39, And he arose and rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? And see, that's a great question for all of us. We panic over every little situation. I'm the world's worst. If there's something that I can't seemingly control, and we're all control freaks to a certain extent, I don't know what to do. I get frustrated, I get nervous, I get angry, I get scared, I get anxious. I mean, however you want to describe it, we, we all go through the array of feelings in certain situations. Why do we fear things when we know God is in absolute control? Here we see that the Lord Jesus, and they had seen him perform many miracles leading up to this point. Just again, with the, the same with the children of Israel as they saw the Red Sea. And I just saw an awesome documentary about that. And I can't wait for part two to come out. I got it from Answers in Genesis. But they had seen many miracles and witnessed a, a great deal of things. They knew he was the Son of God. They knew he was the Messiah. Yet they still doubted even in the midst of this storm. But we do the same thing. We still doubt, we still lack faith, we still 
uh, panic and, and get afraid or, or we are anxious about certain things when we know God's in control and he's going to work all things out for the good of those that are called according to his purpose. Those that love him are called according to his purpose. So when he asked them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Ooh, that should really stink. And they feared exceedingly. And verse 41, and said one to another, what manner of man is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. So if the Lord's controlling the wind and the sea here, he can control anything and everything. I know hurricane season's coming up here in, for Florida and the coasts, coastal areas, but guess what? When there's one coming and they can only guess where it's going to go and there's no way of stopping it, what are we supposed to do? We kind of just sit around and wait. There's no stopping it. There's no reversing it. There's no saying, hey, you're not coming here. But God can stop it. God guides the storms. He leads the storms. He gives them their strength, allows them to, to take place. He's, he created it. All this around us, he created. He's in control of all of it. So the winds and the waves, they obey as well. So we get a great kind of background for, for the story or the uh, instance of what we're going to study here, the event we're going to study in Mark chapter 5, when we get to the man with the unclean spirit, the madman of the Gadarenes, we are introduced or reminded of, of the Lord's power in chapter 4 and the ending of it, when the sea and the winds obey him, and we are reminded that he is in absolute control of everything which is an important reminder for us when we get to chapter 5 here. But after the madman of the Gadarenes, there's a few other kind of hopeless situations that, that kind of take place. And we see the Lord is, he, he stops the storm. He takes care of the madman of the Gadarenes, which is what we're going to study today. And there's a woman that's diseased. He's going to heal her, and then he's going to raise uh, Jarius's daughter, here in just a little bit, in, in, in verse 21 of chapter 5, we see him heal the woman and raise Jarius' daughter uh, from the dead. And all these situations seem absolutely hopeless to men. We, There's nothing we could have done about this. The diseases, we, we can't heal all of the diseases. We certainly can't raise the dead. What are we supposed to do about this madman of the gatherings, which we're going to study? What are we going to do about the storms? I mean, if it's pouring the rain outside, and I go out and say, all right, stop raining, it's not going to listen to me. Who am I? I'm a nobody. And I know a lot of people are probably amening the, the fact that I just said I'm a nobody. Um, thank you. Appreciate that. But this storm that they're going through is no match uh, no problem for the master of the sea he calms the storm, uh, but he's going to take care of all of these things. Now let's let's think about this. All these four of these situations seem kind of hopeless from a human's perspective, yet in all these cases, Jesus proved that he is the master of them all. If that demon possessed man were alive today, he would probably just be sent to a mental institution, or they would do their best to kind of drug him and uh, strap them down and chain them down and that's all they would do 
if the diseased woman, she would be sent to a terminal care ward or something. The dead girl would be sent to a cemetery because she's dead. What else is she going to do? But as we, as if you were to read through this chapter and move through this chapter, we're going to discover that Jesus is not only just the master of the deep, as we find in chapter 4, he's the master of the demonic that we find in verses 1 through 20 here of chapter 5, but he's also the master of the disease, and he's the master of death. So we've got 4Ds, uh, 4D, not 3D, 4D. Uh, he's the master of all of those things. He, he demonstrates his power in all these situations and all these problems and all these difficulties. He demonstrates his power over all of these things, uh, which we are powerless over all of these things. If I start to get a cold, I'm not going to say, all right, cold, leave my body, and I'm going to be instantly healed. It's just that that's not how it works, how it works at all. But let's take a trip to the cemetery today, and we're going to see and watch Jesus demonstrate his power over the spiritual spiritual realm, easy for me to say. And we're going to see him deliver this man from a hopeless case of spiritual possession and bondage. But as we watch the Lord deliver this poor soul, we need to keep in mind that he can move in our lives with the exact same power that's demonstrated here in Mark chapter 5. So let's look at some of the phases. Uh, I think there are three phases of this encounter in Mark chapter 5, and we'll kind of uh, hit these kind of verse by verse or kind of lump uh, sections of verses by section of verses. But the Lord can break the chains that bind us just as the man was bound or, and by chains and chains in these demonic spirits. The Lord can break the power of sin in our lives, and he can set us Free, But let's look at verses 1 through 5 first as we kind of consider the man here in verse 1 of Mark 5. And when uh, they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes, and when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains." because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. Now there's a lot to dissect here, but let's first notice the man's defilement, and that's broken down here in verse number 2, and when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. So the story opens here, and we are told that the man is held fast in the grip of the devil. Satan is the master of this man's life, and he is in a state of hopelessness, and he's in a state of helplessness. We are told here in verse 2, that he has an unclean spirit. Then we find out a little bit later on in verse 9, he doesn't just have one foul spirit in him. He has thousands. He has, he's possessed by a legion of demons. In verse 9, and he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. So it's not just one. He has thousands of problems. And we'll talk about that just a little bit 
later on. But what's a legion? Now, a legion in the Roman army, which of course Rome had occupied Israel, that army could number anywhere between, a legion could number anywhere between 2,000 to 6,000 men. So that just to kind of give you a rough idea of what a legion is, and when we see a, my name is legion, for we are many, it could be anywhere from 2,000 to 6,000 spirits here possessing this man. In verse 13, we are told that when the demons left this man, they entered a herd of swine that numbered 2,000. Let's look at that in verse 13. And forthwith, Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. So we know that there were at least 2,000, and if there were, we'll talk about this a little bit later. And a legion could be anywhere from 2,000 to 6,000. There could have been one for each pig. There could have been three for each pig, three spirits cast uh, into these pigs. And they were immediately, they ran into the to water and, and choked in the sea. So they, they committed suicide uh, here in, in verse number 13. So this man's curse <clears throat> is pretty steep. But it's no different than the condition of every lost soul in the world. Hold your place here in Mark, and let's go to Ephesians. Two verses one through three, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. So we were we talked about this in the last few weeks. Dead in trespasses and sins. That's each and every one of us. Verse 2, wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, just as this demon-possessed man was, and walking according to the course of this world and the prince of the power of the air. The devil had complete control uh, over his life. He was lost, dead in sin. And that just that's every each and every one of us, according to the prince of the power of the air. Verse 2, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had in our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So we were the children of wrath, just as this man who was possessed by the legion of demons here is a child of wrath. And there certainly was a lot of wrath within this man with all of these demons inside of him. But let's look at John chapter 8. Maybe, if my fingers will cooperate. John 8 and verse, <clears throat> excuse me, 44. There was a Spurgeon sermon there, and now the pages won't turn. Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father will ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So this man, the condition of this man, the madman of the Gadarenes, is the condition of each 
and every one of us. That's what a pitiful shape to be in. Uh, he's in a state of defilement, just as we all uh, were. And let's go back to our text in Mark 5, and let's look at verses 3 and 4. We were going to look at the man's depravity here, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because he that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. Two words kind of factor into heavily into this man's world. We see the words cemeteries and we or tombs and chains. So cemetery and chains, if you wanted to use kind of two C's here. The man was dwelling among the dead. The demons in him drove him away from the living. He did not live around the living. He lived among dead in a cemetery and spent his life in a cemetery. In those days, we have to remember that people were not usually buried in the ground. Tombs were carved in the hillsides and bodies were placed in there. Because of his demons, this man lived among the bones of decaying corpses of the dead. That's where he lived. In a, back, well, we could look at Ephesians 2 again. We won't take the time to do that, but Colossians 2, we will do that. verse 13. And you, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So if we're dead in sin, what a perfect picture this is, of the madman living in a cemetery, because he's spiritually dead. And that, essentially, we're all living in, in cemeteries, because we're all dead to sin. But when we're made alive, we're called out of that, and then we go live among the living. But this man is living in a cemetery. He's helpless. Let's notice his helplessness. He's a man who is out of control. Others try to intervene. They try to chain him down. To no avail, they were unsuccessful. His passions were stronger than his ability to control them. Chains could not hold him down. His passions were so strong. No man could change him. He was a man sold under the influence of evil in his life, and a man couldn't help him. That doesn't mean we shouldn't pray. That doesn't mean we shouldn't care. That doesn't mean we shouldn't reach out. We are to do all of those things, but we should not take it personally when they reject our efforts. Lost men are what they are until Jesus changes them by his power. We shouldn't be offended if we preach a sermon to someone that is lost or minister or witness to someone that is lost and they just, nothing happens because the Lord wasn't working. Think of, again, we, we can think of Noah building the ark and he preached and preached and preached but no one listened. We shouldn't take it personally unless God moves on someone, nothing's going to happen. Unless the Holy Spirit's drawing someone influencing someone and opening their eyes at the, the, from the, the blind that they now can see the truth, nothing's going to happen. We just need to remember that. It takes Jesus and the power of Jesus to change someone. Again, we're told he was that people tried to restrain him. They would catch him. They would bind him with fetters and chains, but none of that worked. None of that held him down. 
Let's go to Romans chapter 6, and let's look at verses 18 through 20. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanliness and to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. So we see we're bound uh, and it takes God to set us free uh, from these chains of sin, and, and we uh, need the Lord, the bottom line. John chapter 8. Verse 34. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. We are bound to sin. And it takes the Lord to set us free. You know, if they would have applied uh, these fetters to his feet, chains would have been uh, around his hands and his arms and his torso, and, and these man-made devices could not hold him. He broke them as if they were made of paper, as if they were just easily breakable. They, they were made of absolutely nothing. He just tore through them. And when we look at this poor soul, it's not hard to make the leap from him to one of, to the lost ones around us, to what we were at one point. We're trapped in the same state of depravity. Uh, the sin that possesses the heart of the lost sinner drives him to spend his days and waste his years with the dead. That's all we desire to do is to continue in the sin and to continue with the dead. The lost sinner has no desire to be around the living. They don't want to hear about the Lord. They don't want to be around Christians. They don't want to be bored. They don't want to have to hear about how awful of a sinner they are. It, it takes the Holy Spirit to open their eyes to the truth of sin. They want to hang out with the dead. Of course, man has his methods of trying to conquer and cure all the problems that plague humanity. Man has his jails and his prisons and his institutions and his asylums. We have our pills. We have our psychology to try to handle all of the dilemmas that man has to face. And the problem with all of man's efforts to cure humanity's problems, the problem with all of it is it only treats the symptoms. Sure, man can temporarily put aside some sin, but they'll ultimately move on to some other sin, or they'll, like a dog returning to its own vomit, they will return back to their sin and do it again. It's only dealing with the symptoms, just as if you have a cold and you take some cold medicine. It's not attacking the virus and, and doing away with the virus. It's just easing up the symptoms, and that's all man can do is work on the symptoms. Man acts like he acts and does what he does because he's a lost sinner. Lost people choose darkness over light because they hate the light. In John chapter 3. In verse 19 through 21. 
And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So men love darkness. They choose darkness over light. Lost people choose sin over the Savior because they are evil and totally given over to the pursuit of evil. Let's go to Romans chapter 3. And let's look beginning in verse number 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. That's, that's hard for a lot of people to contemplate. Some people say there's a little good in everyone. Uh, when, when you talk about salvation, they say, well, you have to do your part and God's going to do your, his part. And if you're, if the Bible says there's none that doeth good, then that means you're unable to do your part. Because that would be a good thing to do your part to be saved by the Lord. But if you're unable to perform good, if you're not righteous at all, and you're not seeking after God, as it says here in Romans 3 and verse 11, then you're unable to do your part. It takes the Holy Spirit to do all of it, and it takes the Lord to do all of it. We can't do it. There's none that doeth good, and just to underscore the point, to make the point, to emphasize the point, no, not one, not not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher, that their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith unto them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we see that man is just given over to evil unless the Lord intervenes. But back in our text, let's look at the man's desperation here as we continue to look at the man. Verse 5 of Mark chapter 5. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. Can you imagine the terror this man might have caused up there in the cemetery? He's naked, he's running around, uh, screaming and crying and yelling in torment. Now we don't know whether this man cut his body to kind of find uh, some way of relief from his demons or whether the demons caused him to do that. 
We don't know why he shrieked and, and cried in the tombs. Maybe th he did these things because he was desperate to be free or the demons caused him to do that. Uh, it may be that he did them because he was just compelled to do them by the demons. And what, what? it doesn't matter. The point is he's in a desperate situation and he needs help. When someone needs help, they usually end up screaming. Uh, his ho let's look, let's think about his hopelessness again. Notice that his torment was continual. Uh, day and night he cried. Day and night he was in that place of isolation there in the cemetery. Day and night he did his best to injure and harm himself. What a horrible scene. This is the lost condition. Surely he wanted a different life, but he was absolutely powerless to accomplish that by himself. So it is with lost man. We're absolutely powerless to accomplish that by ourselves. It takes the Lord Jesus Christ to help. We're going to be shrieking and in torments and in law and sin, wandering in sin and dead in sin until the Lord intervenes. As the day ends and night comes and the next day comes, it's still that same torment every day, struggling with the same torment. He falls deeper and deeper in that pit of isolation, that entrapment of sin and then the entrapment of these demons. And there's just, there's no pill. <laughs> you don't need a pill. The pill's not going to help him. There's no psychiatrist that could help him. Uh, there's no man that can help him, even a priest. It takes the Lord Jesus Christ to help. This man needed Jesus. We need Jesus. The Lord is the antidote for the poison of sin. He's the cure for the condition of man. He's the solution to the problem. He's not just going to deal with the symptoms. He's going to deal with the actual problem. Let's consider the master here. Back in our text in Mark chapter 5. Let's begin reading in verse 6. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the cemetery. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, and all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. First of all, what jumps out in verse 6 is the master's compassion. Everyone in that region feared this man. He, everybody knew who he was. He, everybody could hear him. They knew he was up there. And every time that he would come near, I'm sure they all ran away in fear. They trembled in their houses probably as the sounds of shrieks came from the cemetery and children were warned to stay away from this crazy man in the cemetery. I'm sure all the kids were warned to stay away. Everyone avoided this man. Bottom line, everybody wanted to stay away from him. 
everyone but Jesus. <laughs> Jesus went to this man. Jesus didn't avoid this man. He made a special trip across the sea and braved a storm simply because he wanted to deliver this man from Satan. See, people would go out of their way to avoid him. Jesus went out of his way and through some difficulties to go see this man. That's the difference. <laughs> Everyone else feared. Everyone else avoided. Everyone else despised this man, but the Lord went. Jesus had compassion on him. Jesus cared about the condition that he was in. And Jesus was moved to do something about it. And he said, I'm to be about my father's business. This was his father's business. He was going to go through storm. He was going to travel by sea. He was going to walk on foot. He was going to do whatever he had to do to go and perform what his father wanted him to perform. Thank God for his boundless love and endless compassion. His compassion ultimately was shown on the cross. When he died for all of our sins and for each and every one of his children and rose again, conquering death, grave, and hell. And now he's making intercession for us. He's just constantly doing things for us because he loves us and had compassion. We didn't deserve any of that. This man didn't deserve the Lord. What's so good about this man? That the Lord's going to show compassion to him. Nothing. Everybody else avoided him. But the Lord showing him compassion. That just shows the Lord's compassion on all of us. There's nothing redeemable about any of us. There was nothing like, you know what, I kind of like that guy. We're all horrible. <laughs> We're all disgusting, horrible sinners. And he showed mercy and compassion and bestowed his grace upon us, undeserving sinners. Bottom line, we were undeserving. Sometimes people can look at, we can look at people or people can look at us or whatever and maybe they can think, oh, we're kind of a lost cause. And uh, we may wonder if they can be saved or maybe if they will be saved, but that's not up to us. We're just told to go and to preach the gospel. It's not up to us to pick and choose and to judge. Uh, that's up to the Lord. We're to preach and whoever is saved is saved. Whoever God, God's elect are, that's who's going to be saved, and we don't know who they are. They are not walking around with a big giant E on their forehead. Hey, preach to me. I'm one of the elect. I don't know. I remember a pastor when we were living in Charlottesville, Virginia, said if I believed in election, I wouldn't be a preacher because they're just going to be saved anyway. You have to preach. The Bible says go and preach. Uh, it doesn't say who his elect are. He just says he has his elect. And if we don't know who they are, it means we just have to preach to everybody. So, yes, you still would be preaching. That was kind of an, an interesting thing to say, I guess. Uh, but I would, you don't know who they are, so you got to preach to everyone. So, yes, you would still be a preacher. But if we're saved today, it's because the Lord had compassion on us. He loved us in spite of our sins, and he came to deliver us from the bondage of that sin uh, that just gripped our heart and gripped our lives and drug us down. And he loved us enough to die on the cross for us. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, for when you were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commandeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he loved us enough to die for us and to set us free. So no one is beyond the compassionate touch of the master. Uh, Zacchaeus in his tree 
Saul of Tarsus with his agenda of hate and destruction and, and persecution of God's church, the Ethiopian eunuch with all the religious confusion that he had going on in his life, sitting there reading the book of Isaiah and not understanding any of it, and who God sent Philip out of his way, left a, a wonderful ministry to go and to preach to one guy. Uh, God sent someone. He was one of God's elect. God made sure someone was there to preach to him. They sat down and opened the book and preached unto him Jesus. Started in that same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Uh, what about Jacob, the schemer? Well, we'll give you an Israel. Uh, give us a Simon, a, a lost, horrible, probably a cursing sinner or fisherman, and we'll give you Simon Peter, a mighty preacher. Well, again, we just mentioned Saul persecuting the church. Well, I'll give you a Paul who will preach the gospel and start many mission works and, and many churches and affect, affect us, affect our lives even today as we studied Tychicus last week. And the... use of Paul and his letters how Paul was inspired to write those books that are still uh, we still study from even today the gospel is, is within all of those pages that Paul was inspired to write so we can thank the Lord for that it's amazing what Jesus uh, can do for us if he's able to heal this madman imagine what he can do for all of us it's amazing his power is amazing and we should never doubt what Almighty God can do. Let's go to First Corinthians or Second Corinthians, rather, five and verse seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. So we're brand spanking new. <laughs> Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So we're not like we used to be. Uh, we are given a new life, made alive. We are brand new, born again, and it is an absolute amazing thing. Let's go back to our text and let's think about the master's confrontation with this man in Mark chapter 5. And let's think about this man who everyone else ran from. He ran to the Lord and fell at his feet. The Lord didn't move. He was right there. They were... This, the legion of these spirits were bowing in subjection to the Lord of Lords. Jesus confronts the demons, ordering them to release their captive. Here in verse 8, For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirits. Now the demons acknowledged the deity of the Lord in verse 7, and cried with a loud voice. And we see they ran and worshipped him in verse 7, and cried with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. So they acknowledged the deity and the authority of Jesus. They, they recognized who he was and who he is. And they begged him not to torment them. That means they begged him not to send them to hell. Let's go to Luke 8, verse 31. And they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep. The demons then request that they might be allowed to enter a herd of swine that was feeding not too far away. In verse 11, Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. 
And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that he that we may enter into them. So they'd rather go into these swine rather than go where they belong. The demons then request, or the Jesus gives them permission, grants their request, and they leave the body of the man and enter into the swine. In verse 13, forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the See, so they went down and entered into the swine. When they do, the swine cannot tolerate the demons. And they go and they kill themselves by running into the sea here in verse 13. This is a strange passage, but it teaches, I think, a very important uh, truth here. Now, a couple of them. Uh, first, it teaches that all spirits are subject to Jesus. We see that in verses 6 and 7. They recognize his authority. Uh, we can go and study Job. The devil could only go as far, Satan could only go as far as the Lord would allow him uh, with Job and take away only so much, uh, not one thing more uh, that could the devil do to Job than what God would allow happen. They must have his permission to do things. We find that there in verses 10 through 13 when they're asking to go into the swine. And Jesus is the master of the demons. That should give us hope today. Uh, it often looks like the devil's kind of winning this thing, but the Lord is in absolute control. And if you think that the devil's kind of in control and winning, well, we need to read Revelation uh, chapter 20, verse 10. The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. So devil's not going to win in the end. So this verse tells us Satan will be cast into a lake of fire and the war will be over and the victory goes to Jesus. The passage also teaches us that man is the most depraved creature in existence. This one man could tolerate a legion of demons as we read in verse 9. Again, a Roman legion contained 2,000 to 6,000 soldiers you do the math, one or three in each pig, uh, they couldn't tolerate the presence of the devil. They committed suicide. S-U-E-Y. Suicide. Okay, okay, bad joke. Those pigs couldn't stand just a few demons or one demon, yet this man was able to live with thousands of them. This just goes to show how deeply depraved we truly are. It just illustrates the capacity humans have for evil. We need to understand that. But look at verse 13. Forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. Uh, that's the master's command here. Every effort of man had failed up to this point. No man could help. Everything that they had tried was useless. But one word, one word from Jesus, and this man was free. That's the glory of salvation. Man can try his religious works. They will fail to save. 
Uh, let's look quickly here in Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. That need, I cannot stress that enough. The Bible's very plain. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So we are not saved by works. Why? Because if we were, we would boast about it. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Man can try his pop psychology, but it's not going to work. We're going to fall short. It doesn't change the heart of a sinner. You can try your pills, your programs, your practices, your, your all sorts of things, and it's not going to change. It's still going to be a lost sinner. It's still going to be hell-bound. It takes the Lord's intervention to change. You can try to deal with the symptoms, but you need to deal with the problem because uh, dealing with the symptoms isn't going to change anything. For the Lord is the only hope. And John chapter 6, quickly. John 6. And verse 37. All the Father hath given me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. He will cast out the devil, the demons, the sin. Uh, he cast out the devils of this man. He can cast out the sin of in us, but he's not going to cast us out. And in John 14, since we're right there and that close, John 14 and verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He's the only hope, period. Let's consider the miracle in verse uh, 14 of our text. We need to hasten very, very quickly. They that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that was done. And they came to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid, and they saw it and told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil, and also concerning the swine, and they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed, and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. So he was changed by Jesus. When the pigs ran down the mountain and killed themselves, the servants who were tending the herd went to town and told their masters what had happened. Townsfolk came to see for themselves. They had to see this. When they arrived, they heard all the details. They could see the evidence of this man that he was changed right before their eyes. His life was completely different. And right before their eyes, Jesus changed him, we see in verse number 15. They came to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. 
Jesus clothed him. No longer was he naked, but he was clothed. Uh, further proof of his change. Uh, what we need to notice here is that what Jesus does in the heart of this man always worked out on the outside. So the change from the inside is going to be worked from the outside. We're no longer going to be doing what we had done before, but we're outwardly going to be doing different things. Let's go to Matthew uh, chapter 12 and verse 35. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. So the good that's been wrought within us should wield fruit, uh, good things. And Jesus calmed him in verse 15. We are told that he is in his right mind. There have been turmoil and agitation and screaming and, and cutting and all that. All that's done. He's in his right mind now. He's in perfect peace because his mind has stayed upon the Lord. Uh, he's been changed spiritually. He's been changed physically. He's been changed mentally. What a picture of a total change salvation brings to the, to the converted sinner. Where there was turmoil, it's just gone. He gives everyone a brand new life, born again. So Jesus changed him from the inside out. Verses 17 and 18 in our text. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he was come into the ship that had been possessed with them, the devil prayed him um, that he might be with him, albeit Jesus suffered uh, him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends. All right, so he was committed to Jesus here. Now, the people in that region were afraid. We, we saw that there in verse 15, and they demanded that he leave their country for these people. Uh, this is just way too much for them to kind of handle and too much for them to kind of uh, process. Um, they might have been able to handle a little preaching, but when Jesus started changing lives, they just, all right, we're, we can't take, we, we're, this is so much for us. And that happens a lot. Sometimes people will come to church on Sunday morning, we'll handle a little bit of preaching and all this and that, but we're supposed to do what? Change this and that? What, uh, there's a lot of that going on today. I don't want to labor this point uh, too much. Um, But he wanted to be with the Lord. Verse 18, And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Please let me be with him. He was committed to the Lord. I want to be with you. Uh, he didn't want to be with anybody before. He was in the cemetery alone and, and away from everyone. But now, he's in his right mind. He's spiritually different, physically different, uh, mentally changed. There are all these things are... are back to the way they should be. He's been made alive. And the Lord has saved him, healed him. He's, he's committed to the Lord here. Well, let's look at verses 19 through 20, because we need to finish. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis, uh, how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. So Jesus didn't say, you're not going to go with me. Instead, Jesus sent him back to his home to tell others what the Lord had done for him. Uh, 
I know oftentimes we, we, we're the save when we're first saved, we just, all right, just take me. <laughs> I'm done. Let's go. And we just want to be with the Lord. And, and all, we that's con- a constant uh, desire that we have. But the Lord keeps us where we are, and he sends us where he wants us to go for a purpose. And he was, uh, it would be nice just to go and to be with the Lord, but he had, the Lord had a commission for him, had a job for him to do. And the Lord told him, you're going to go and you're going to do it. And that's same with all of all of us as, as we are God's children here, we're told to go. And when the Lord calls you to go somewhere and to do something, you need to do it. So he went to Decapolis, which means 10 cities, and he preached the gospel to all that would listen to him. Can you imagine how that might have played out? Uh, People see him coming, they kind of cringe in fear, and children kind of hiding behind their parents and uh, everybody's doors are slamming shut and they're running kind of high from this madman. But wait, <laughs> hold on, there's something different today. Yeah, it's still him. It's it's who we think that it is. He may have some scars on his body, but the look in his eye is different. He isn't screaming. He's now preaching. Notice the difference. He's not screaming, but now he's preaching about the man named Jesus. He isn't running around like a wild man. He's calm, and he's talking about how Jesus changed his life. He's not naked. He's now clothed. He's peaceful. Uh, he's His mind has changed. Everything's changed about him. The people listen to his story. They're touched. I'm sure some were saved. But what a difference Jesus makes. This is the Lord's desire, that every redeemed person in the world today, if you are saved, you have a story to tell. It's a story about a hopeless person who was given hope by the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus made the difference. And that's what we're supposed to do, to go and tell the world about the Lord. And that's exactly what this man did. What a difference Jesus can make. Let's not forget this as we're walking in our lives from day to day. The Lord is the difference. The Lord can change people. There might be people who we think that cannot change. Look at the Apostle Paul. When he was Saul, who would have ever thought the Lord would have saved him and used him to be such an awesome missionary after the Lord was the greatest missionary after the Lord? Number two, uh, starting churches and mission works. and It's just amazing. And everybody, when he went to the church, were afraid of him. (laughs) This is the guy that wants to kill us all and... He's a different guy now. He was given a new name. With God, it's possible. But it takes the Lord Jesus Christ. So I hope this kind of gives us a little bit of a shot in the arm to boost us to know that the Lord has loved us so much to change us. And let's hope that the Lord will use us to preach to others and that the Lord will work in those that we preach to And we pray that God will bless and that God will use his word to encourage, to strengthen, to edify, to save uh, lost souls. And we look forward to seeing you all soon. And we pray the Lord's blessings upon all of us this week. And we pray the Lord will um, bring us back next week. We would love to be able to meet for services. 
and we pray that the Lord will let us be able to assemble together again very, very soon. Pray for all those that have been affected by this pandemic and the doctors and, and such, and we pray that God will bless. Thank you.